Um, I came across a very interesting story, um, actually yesterday. Um, you heard of Winston Churchill, the uh, famed uh, Prime Minister of England, particularly during World War II. Um, he was embattled at certain times, um, uh, but he was a person who was steadfast and knew his purpose. Well, what was interesting was when he was a child, he had a very severe speech impediment. Um, and as tends to happen sometimes, uh, ruthlessly, he was mocked for it, both by friends and family. And it caused great emotional damage. And it carried with him on into adulthood. So much so that he was scared, uh, greatly fearful of speaking in front of people. That is the number one fear around the world today. But because of how he had been treated as a child, because of his speech impediment, uh, even to the point his first election into parliament, he was 29 years old, he gets up to make his very first speech into parliament. And he stands there frozen silent for three solid minutes. I don't know if you've been in a room with a bunch of people and everything depends upon you saying something, but three minutes of absolute silence is eternity. You want to practice? Is it awkward yet? Well, just picture it. Winston Churchill, man we know with great renown, standing there frozen solid. After three minutes, he just packs up his notes, goes and sits down. He can't get it out, his speech, because of all that he had been through. And so from that moment on, though, he resolved that that would never happen again. And he said, the only way that's going to happen is if I know everything I'm going to say to a T. And so he dedicated himself to knowing all of the words that were going to come out of his, his mouth when he stood up to give a speech, to know it inside and out. So he would study and he would uh, pour over and he would run through it with everyone on his staff, with the members of his family who happened to be in the house. Hey, let me give you my speech real quick. And he would get, do this on into the uh, uh, senior years of his life when he became prime minister during World War II, so much so that... When London was bombarded with bombs from September through May one year during World War II, it was his speeches that held the nation together. When every night they would hear the air raid sirens, which meant, turn off all your lights, here come the German planes. Just try to put yourself in that situation. If you heard the siren every night from September to May, not knowing if a bomb is going to be dropped in your living room that night or your neighbor's house. And they would hear over the radio Churchill's voice come and give them the resolve to continue to withstand and to find victory. All because he was dedicated to knowing one thing inside and out, what he was going to say, his word. So that every time he stood up to speak, he was no longer nervous. He was no longer fearful. He was filled with great peace. And that's what we're going to look at today. How can we, today, in today's world, today's climate, Christians, how can we have peace? How can we be at peace with all that's going on? So open your Bibles. 
to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you're going to use a Bible on your pew rack, it's on page 855. And if you don't have a Bible, everyone needs a Bible, you take that Bible home. It's on the pew there. That's yours. We've got other ones we can put there. But everyone needs one, so just take that one with you when you leave. No one's going to stop you because you grabbed one of the pew Bible. That's why they're there, so that everybody can have some. Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin to look at the Christmas story. Down in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, a lot's been said about betrothal and how it was that way in the first century. And um, it's a very interesting concept. You know, it is legally a marriage, and it's similar to our current engagement, although it's, it's legally a marriage. But what would happen is, is uh, uh, sometimes parents would arrange for um, their kids. You know, one set of parents would have a da- daughter, and one set of parents would have a son, and they would arrange the deal. But most of the time, what would happen in the first century is uh, uh, they would ask the children if they would consider marrying so-and-so from that other family. And there would also be a contractual obligation to it, as well as a bride price that was paid. Uh, But if the daughter consented and the son consented, then they would enter into this deal and say, yes, we're going to be married. And so the betrothal would start, the marriage would start at that point. The betrothal would start. And the way it worked... Is, is even though they are betrothed, they're technically married, but they're betrothed, the daughter would still live with her parents and the son would still live with his parents, but he would begin construction of either a room onto his parents' house or a separate house on his parents' property. And he would start building. It would be, the, it would be to house he and his new wife. And the betrothal would only finish when he had finished building the space for them to live in. But the thing is, he was not the one who would determine when the house was finished being built or the room was finished being built. The only one who would determine that was his father. And so every day the the son would go out there and he would work on constructing this room or this house and, and he would work and he would do everything he could and get it just right and he's ready and he would go in and ask his dad to come out and look. His dad would come out and look and say, yeah, it's not ready yet. You keep working. He would go, his dad would go back in. Now, whether or not the construction needed more work or the son needed more work, that's, it, it didn't matter because it's one or the other or both most of the time. Uh, a lot of times the son would want to rush through the deal and get to the marriage as quick as possible. But the father said, no, you need to wait. And so the son would know the day or the time of when he would go and retrieve his wife. Only the Father knows. It's very similar to us as believers. Only the Father knows the day or the time when Jesus will come and retrieve us. Well, the son, Joseph, in this case, was off building his room or his house in order to go and get married. And during this period of time, when Joseph's living in his parents' house, building this room or building this house, every day going in and asking his dad to come and look and see if it was ready or not, Mary is living in her parents' house doing what she always did, Uh, uh, whatever it was that, you know, daily chores, whatever her parents needed, maybe they had some animals that that she had to tend to, uh, as as all children did as a part of the family, you did it because you're part of the family, Um, or maybe some farm work or just stuff, stuff around the house, whatever they had, she was out there doing it, 
And uh, all of a sudden, something occurs in this moment. Verse 28. This angel who's left the presence of God to come down to earth, to Galilee, to a city of Nazareth, to this girl who's betrothed to Joseph. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Now that, that word there, favored, literally means grace. Uh, and so, you know, it's oftentimes translated, O favored one, but it also means God's grace is on you. God's grace is on you. The Lord is with you. And you know what grace is? Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. And so when the angel says, greetings, O favored one, greetings one with, with God's grace on you, who has received something you don't deserve, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now her response is key. Because most of the time what happens when an angel shows up and, and appears to somebody, it says they are fear, uh, filled with great fear, but not Mary. She's greatly troubled, but she's not afraid of the angel. Maybe a little confused, trying to figure out exactly what this angel's talking about. It's also key that an angel hasn't appeared like this in, in a very, very long time, hundreds of years and he shows up in a know-nothing town to this little girl. says, God's grace is on you. And she's trying to discern what sort of... Now, I love the way that's phrased. Because have you ever had a time... And maybe you don't, y'all don't do this. Y'all are always up front. I mean, I know most of y'all. Y'all are always up front. You're always transparent. This is something that happened way back in the day. It doesn't happen anymore where somebody will say something and then you're trying to read what they're saying like there's really something behind what they're saying and they're not really meaning what they're saying. You're trying to discern what's really the motivation behind what's going on. What, 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 what tone is lacing their words? Maybe there's something, you're trying to parse what they're saying. Well, or later you're thinking about it. Oh, man, did they really mean this? Or maybe they meant, did they really? I'm, and you start to get offended because of what they said when they were really just saying, good afternoon, have a good day, you know, and uh, uh, Mary is, is trying to figure out, you, you, it's almost you can see the, the wheels turning of trying to figure out what this angel's talking about, and so the angel in this moment responds, verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, there's that, there's that phrase again, favor again, grace, uh, you have received God's grace, you have received something you do not deserve. And here it is, verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great, will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Very significant words. The angel is, is indicating to Mary who this child will be. I mean, first, right off the bat, he says, you're going to get pregnant, and you're going have to a, have a son. 
No sonograms in first century. I don't know if you knew that part of history. But he says, you're going to get pregnant and you're going to have a son. I'm telling you in advance, this is what the child is going to be. And, and, and this, this child isn't going to be just any child. This is going to be the son of God. The Messiah that y'all have been waiting for for millennia is coming and he's going to be in you. Going to be in you. Imagine receiving that news. Like trying to not just process the angel appearing to you and giving you an assignment, saying God's grace is on you, but then saying these words, all right, you are going to get pregnant with the son of God and you're going to raise him in your house. As though having a child wasn't nerve-wracking enough. You're going to have the son of God be responsible for raising the son of God. And Mary hears these words from the angel, receives it. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now Mary, we we, we don't believe she's questioning whether or not God can do this. And it doesn't appear like she is. She's questioning her own involvement in it. She's questioning her ability to be a part of God's plan. She's saying to the angel, I am not able to do the thing you're asking me to do. This is not something I can do. I'm incapable. I'm I'm unable to do this thing. So she's not questioning God's power. She's questioning whether or not she can be involved. Verse 35, the angel answers her, but not really. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary says, right, I can't do this thing, you're, t- you're, you're saying it's going to happen, and the angel says, well, it's not you who's going to do it. It's God who's going to do it. You just have to be willing to be a part of it. God's going to do all the processes. You don't have to do anything. And so when the angel comes and, and says, God's got something for you, Mary, if you're willing to be a part of it, Mary can be a part of this world-changing moment. Because God's grace is on her, because God's son will be in her, and because God's spirit will overshadow her if she's willing to be a part of this deal. And then it's at verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. This is a quote from the Old Testament, Genesis 18, 14, when God came and told Abraham, your wife, who is unable to have a child, just like Mary, is going to be pregnant. Angel comes uh, uh, and delivers this message to Mary. It says, just like Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a child when you should not be able to. But God's going to do it because nothing is impossible with God. And for us today, we can read that verse and we can say that verse and we can put that verse on our mirror, we can put that verse in our car, we can have it pop up on our phone and we can say it all day long. But if we were truthful, a lot of us don't believe that. We'll say, nothing is impossible with God. 
but we act like it is sometimes. We say, well, you know, that's just, what's going to happen is going to happen, and there's nothing we can do about it. it, it it's, it's just going to, uh, my health is just going to continue to get worse. This situation is just going to get worse. Nothing is going to uh, bring me relief. There's no way out of this uh, uh, possible scenario. You say, oh, I know nothing is impossible with God, and I'll pray about it. But in the back of my mind, I don't really believe God's going to do anything with it. I can pray, but my prayer is not doesn't is devoid of any power because it doesn't have any faith backing it up. But to live like nothing is impossible with God changes our entire perspective. There was a guy in our church who beat us to heaven. He's already there, uh, and and uh, he would pray for everything. He would be a little warm one day and ask God for a breeze, and God would bring a breeze every time. He had faith enough that God would just bring a breeze just for him when he's walking the woods. And sometimes, you know, when we pray and ask God for stuff and not really believing that, that God is capable or God has the power to do it, we're demonstrating a lack of faith that followers of God should not be in possession of. There was that father who brought his son to Jesus to be healed and said to Jesus, if you can, heal him. And Jesus said, if I can, if I can. And the father said, forgive. No, that's not what he said. He said, uh, I believe Help me in my unbelief. I believe, but not fully. So, so Jesus, I need you to help bring me along in the process to the point to where we can say nothing is impossible with God and not just say it, but actually live it out as we go out and walk about our day. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Small stuff, big stuff, medium stuff, nothing is impossible with God. Full of faith. Full of faith. And so the angel says this to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. And look at Mary's response in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I love this phrasing. Let it be to me according to your word. Just let it be. Let it happen. Exactly like you said. Let it happen. How many of us are good at just letting stuff be? At just letting stuff alone? At just letting stuff happen? Without interfering, just, just, just letting it go and just letting it happen. Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. Mary's saying, I am absolutely willing for God to do whatever he wants to do. However it's going to play out, whatever the consequences are, I'm willing to let it happen. But a lot of times we like to tweak stuff. We like to adjust stuff. We can't just let it be. We got to fiddle with it because it's not happening fast enough, because it's not happening exactly like we want it to happen. And, and so we mess with it a little bit. When Mary says, let it be, let it be. But that tweaking, that adjusting, that messing with it, that fiddling with it, that stems from a discontentment within us. A discontentment, a, a frustration at how stuff is. 
because it's not exactly like we want it. And so we keep messing and we keep fiddling and we end up making it worse than it was before we started fiddling with it. Mary says, let it be to me according to your word, exactly as you have said. And now the stuff in our own lives, whether it's our life, the lives of those around us, or just the world at large that we want to mess with and fiddle with and, 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 and adjust, and we keep trying to, we keep maybe posting stuff, just trying to, you know, tweak the situation just, just so, because we just can't let it alone. We just can't let it be because we're discontented with how it is. There's a musical we used to watch as kids growing up. My dad's a music minister, my mom taught piano. We watched musicals all the time. Uh, and in one of them, there's a guy uh, who's really frustrated, and, and his, his phrase, and I think about it all the time because it's such a great phrase, uh, even though it's not how you want to live. He says, I reek of discontentment. Very self-aware. But he says, I, I just cannot sit still. I reek of discontentment. It's all over me about everything around me and about how everybody else is acting around me. I'm just so discontented and so frustrated all the time. And my blood pressure is through the roof because I just cannot let it go. I cannot sit in peace. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me exactly as you have said. And so again, we read Mary saying this, just like we read what the angel said, nothing will be impossible with God. And that will be a difficult thing for all of us to say, if we're, again, honest with ourselves. God, let it be to me exactly as you want it to happen. However that is, whatever that means, without me knowing the end result, without me tweaking it, interfering with it, messing with it, just let it happen and I will go along with you and never try to get in the way. The angel left Mary because he knew she would do that. How many of us would be sitting there saying that and the angel says, really, really, is that really? Like, I know you, like, like mm. and, and you said the same thing yesterday and you immediately did the opposite. Really? You're gonna do, you're let it happen to you and not try to change the way God's doing it? There was a, uh, a Spurgeon, the great preacher from the 1800s, speaking on contentment in a prayer. He said, let us be content to know only what you choose to reveal. Let us be content to know only what you choose to reveal. Being content with only what God allows us to see not trying to know more than he wants us to know, not trying to do more than he's telling us to do, not trying to do somebody else's job for them, not, not trying to, to mess with the situation he's given us just to, to let it sit there, but just to be content with it as it is, come what may. And our actions will often betray what, what our words say. They'll betray our heart and what's really there, this discontentment, this dissatisfaction, this inability just to let stuff alone that the Lord wants to do, it stems from a greater issue, a deeper issue, a, a spiritual issue. The thing is, uh, the truth of the matter, we value our own personal perspective and assessment of a situation 
more than we value the Lord's assessment, more than we value what the Lord wants to do, more than we trust what God's going to do. So really, a lack of contentment, a lack of just letting it be, is a lack of trust in God. We're saying that, what, you know, when I do that, and I do that all the time, I'm saying, I trust my assessment, I trust my evaluation of the circumstance more than I trust what God is going to do. Because I trust me, and I trust what I can see, what I can hear, what's in my own hands, what I remember, I, I trust me. Even though I'm flawed, and I'm messed up, and I'm sinful, I'll trust a sinner, me, faster than I'll trust God. I'll trust the conclusion that a sinner's brain comes to, the assumption that a sinner's brain makes, more than I will trust the word of God. And we all do that. We, we, come, to conclusion, we, draw to, we come to conclusions, we make deductions, and we make assumptions, and it brings us to this point that is not at all the truth, but we, in our mind, rationalized how we got there, and so we believe that thing that is absolutely not true more than we believe God. God's saying, just let it be. Just let it alone, man. Like, you're making it worse than it was before. Just, just stop and just let it alone. Because if you really trusted me, you would find something greater. You would find contentment. And contentment naturally results in peace. When we find contentment, when we find that we are content in where we are and what God has provided, we find peace. Because peace is always present in the content heart. Peace is always present in the content heart. And contentment and peace never come from getting the life you wanted. Ever. Because if you got the life and you got everything you ever wanted, it's just going to create more problems. Because all that we can see is the right now. And we can see, I want that thing now. I want the situation now. I want everything to be how I want it right now. And we can't see the long term. We can't see what God can see. We can only see the right now. And if we got everything, Jared, I think you said this last week. If I got everything I wanted, my life would be all kinds of screwed up. That's my paraphrase. And God says, no, just trust me more than you trust you. Trust me and then you will find contentment. And once you find contentment, you find peace. Because peace comes from trust. Peace comes from trust. And so how can we be at peace? Trust God. How can we have peace? Trust God. Because peace comes from trust. And if there's no trust, then all we experience is anxiety. All we experience is discontentment. And we're reeking of it. And we're pouring it out on everybody around us. And, and, and we're throwing this, this lack of peace out into the world. So it's not peace to the world, world peace. We're, we're throwing out a lack of peace. We're throwing out chaos. We're throwing out discontentment on everyone around us. All because we do not trust God with our own lives. But if we would surrender and give it up in humility, we would find trust. God, I trust you with my health. God, I trust you with my decisions. I trust you with my flawed mind, and I will follow you. Help me to follow you better than I follow myself. God, I trust you above all of it. And when we trust him, 
And it's a process, right? You can say today, I'm going to trust God, and you can trust God for the next hour. But in hour number two, a situation is going to come up where you're going to actually make the wrong decision and not trust God, and the peace will flee from you. But then you just get right back up and keep going. You follow after God in the next moment, and the next moment, and the next moment. It's a process of getting closer to God. And so you work towards being more faithful. You work towards being more trusting so that you're more trusting tomorrow than you were today and the day after that than you were that day. And you make baby steps towards what God would have you do and who God would have you become. And once you begin to trust God, when we truly trust the Lord, we will have peace. Which is what is in Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. I've used this verse a lot. I'm gonna keep using it till it sinks in to me. It says in Isaiah 26, three and four, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Y'all remember the story I told you about Churchill? His mind was stayed on his notes so he found peace when he's standing up there giving his speeches because he was so dedicated to that thing. That's all he thought about. He didn't, his anxieties left him because his mind was on this one thing. And so if your mind is on the Lord, your mind is stayed on the Lord, you will trust him. If your mind is stayed on the situation that's causing you anxiety and problem, that's causing you turmoil, that's causing disunity, if your mind is stayed on that thing, there will be no trust. And if there's no trust, there's no peace. But notice in that verse, this is a guaranteed situation. He's not saying, God, you might keep someone in peace if they think about you sometimes. It is an absolute statement. God, you keep him in perfect peace. Perfect, absolute peace. No turmoil, no anxiety, no offense, no frustration. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's a guarantee. You have trust, you think about the Lord, your mind is on the Lord, you have perfect peace. No ifs, ands, or buts. No, you know, outs, no excuses. There's, what, what punctuation's on the end of that verse? Can y'all help me here? What, what is that? A period. And I don't know who taught you your English, but that's the end of the sentence. And so there's nothing that you can add to that to change what it means. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You trust the Lord, you, you have your mind focused on the Lord, and you have peace. And that's it. You have peace. So here we are at Christmas time. Everyone's Christmas time is always peaceful, right? No turmoil, no craziness. Schedules are, are as easy as they are all year long, right? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Trust in the Lord and you will find peace because trust changes the world. Trust changes your world. Trust will change you and everyone around you if you trust in the Lord. 
Mary trusted the Lord completely. And she let the Lord's plan happen to her without any tweaking, without any adjustments, without any fiddling with it. And she found herself in the middle of the greatest moment in human history. I mean, what if in that moment Mary said, yeah, I don't think so. Like, mm mm-mm, Gabriel, next door, that's the one you want. No. You know what, Gabriel, when you know what people are going to say, like, if I'm walking around town and I'm pregnant and I'm still living in my parents' house, like, this is not going to work, Gabriel. I'm I'm not down with this. She would have missed out on the moment because she she would have been wrapped up in the what-ifs instead of what God said. She let it happen to her. And so the question for you is, will you let it happen according to God's word? Whatever it is in your life. And and, and I don't know if y'all know this or not, but everyone in here is different. Very, very different. Everybody's got different backgrounds, different lives, different thought processes. You're wired differently than everybody else. Nobody's the same. And so we all got to trust God individually. And so whatever you're going through in your life, And the Lord comes to you with that question. Will you let it be according to my word? What is the thing that you need to let be in your life? You need to let go. You need to stop messing with. What is the thing you need to give up to the Lord and just just, just trust him with it? What is the thing? Because it's different for everybody. But what is it? Maybe it's your finances. And you've been arguing with God about tithing for years. Because to you, it doesn't make any sense. God says, well, do you trust me or not? Maybe it's something to do with your kids or your job. Maybe it's your neighbor who keeps blowing their leaves under your yard. Maybe it's time just to let it go. Let it be, man. Maybe there's there's something that You just can't let go, and it's been gnawing at you for so long. And so instead of your mind being stayed on the Lord, Isaiah 26, 3, your mind is stayed on that thing. It's just chewing away at your heart, and it's time to let it go. Let it be. Let it happen, and focus on the Lord. Stop resisting him. Stop trying to control the situation. Stop trying to interfere in the situation, and trust that God can handle it. And so do you trust the Lord? Do you trust him? Do you trust him in everything, every avenue, every area of your life? Do you trust him? And then how much do you really trust him? I mean, really. If you were to analyze all of it and pour it out, you know, and say, well, I trust him this percentage and this amount in this area of my life, and I trust him in this area of my life, and I trust him so much in this area of my life. I don't really trust him in how much sleep I get. That's why I set an alarm, and, and I set my alarm every day. I'm just messing with you. Uh, but how much do you really trust the Lord in all your areas of your life? I mean, really. And it's time to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this. This is a thing God, that I care greatly about, but it has caused me unending pain because I'm holding it so tight and I haven't let it go. But God, I'm going to be like Mary. I'm going to let it be 
to me according to your word, according to what you're going to do. Now, I'm not going to mess with it until you tell me. That takes great restraint. Have you ever seen those late night videos where the parents put their kids at, at a table and then put like M&Ms in front of them and tell them don't eat it, but they've got a camera set up and they walk out of the room and immediately when they walk out of the room, one of the kids goes, not knowing that the kid, the one I, was, I saw, uh, the kid who didn't, they had two kids, they're the parents, they left the room. The kid who didn't eat the M&M, because the other kid actually ate both, but the kid who didn't eat the M&M then got the whole bag. If we don't mess with it, let's see what God's going to do. See how God's going to handle it. Because I guarantee you, he can handle it far better than you can. He's way better at it than we are. Way better. I can, I, I mean, I'm speaking from experience. Every time that I have messed with something God said don't mess with, it's gotten worse. And every time I've left it alone, he created something that I never even dreamed of. Will you trust the Lord? Maybe this morning, you need to trust the Lord for the first time. You need to trust God with your salvation. You need to trust God with your eternity. And so the question for you is, will you believe today that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, that he rose from the dead so you can live after you die? Will you believe that and trust God for that and find eternity waiting today? And so wherever you find yourself, whatever decision you need to be making today, whether you need to believe in Jesus, trust him for the first time, trust him for salvation, or you need to trust him with that thing that you've been holding on to and not letting go of. Maybe you need to decide today to be baptized, just like you saw Jax earlier, and you've been fighting God with that deal. Say, no, the situation's not right. I want to get my life a little bit better first. I need to do this, that, or the other thing. Stop arguing with God. Arguing with God is never good, ever. Ever. Does Mary argue with God? No. If you flip back into the Old Testament, Moses argued with God. You know what it said? God got mad at him. Because he kept arguing. Don't argue with God. Let it be to you according to his word today.